Good morning. Welcome. So glad to see you this morning. My name's Matt, and if you're new here, we are so glad you are with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth. Yeah. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, that's okay. We're going to put it on the screen. You can follow along there. We're starting a new sermon series today. It's called A Redeeming Love Story. Who here loves a good love story? Anybody, you know, you watch The Notebook every Friday night? Maybe anybody remember Sleepless in Seattle? Get a, you know, pint of ice cream and just ball your eyes out? Well, there's, there's like a, there's new romantic comedies. It seems like they come out every week, right? There's some good ones. We, we love to laugh. We, we laugh. We cry. We laugh some more. We cry some more at the happy ending. I'll never forget that, that first amazing, riveting love story that I went to theaters to watch. Rocky. No, I'm just kidding. No, we love good love stories because we've all felt like the, the loss and the heartache of loss, and we all hope for that relationship with someone who's, who's our best friend that sticks with us to the very end. We, we long for that connection. In the book of Ruth, we don't just get a great redeeming love story. We get an amazing picture of God's redeeming love for us. And as we go through this book and as we start reading this story and, and pull out different things, there's, there's one thing I want us to keep in mind. All of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is meant to point us to the person of Jesus Christ. It's a story about God's only Son. I mean, from, the, from beginning to end. He is the center of the story. And, and there's purpose and there's, there's meaning in all of these stories that we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So as we go through this, I just want you to keep that in mind, that, that there's, there's pictures of Christ all throughout this story. I mean, this book, this book has it all. I mean, it has love, it has loss, it has friendship, loyalty, crisis, and love again, and then amazing redemption. Amazing redemption. Let's go ahead and pray before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I just pray that as we look into it this morning, you would move on our hearts. God, that, that the truths that you have here for us would pierce deep into our lives, that it would change us and grow us. God, we, we submit to you this morning. Have your way in this service. Have your way in our lives for your glory and for your kingdom and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're in Ruth, it starts out like this. In the days when the judges ruled, and I'm going to stop right there, because this, this is what really sets the stage for the entire book. I know, it's just a few words right there, but, but in the days when the judges ruled. Judges were the leaders of Israel, and they didn't do a very good job. So the book right before Ruth is Judges, and you can go through there and read through there, and what you're going to find out is that God's chosen people were a mess. I mean, it was awful. They're, they're judges who were supposed to kind of be in charge and take care of things and, and kind of guide the people. Well, one, they were awful. They were sinful. And they were out for their own good. They were out for their own glory. 
And then you had, you had the people of Israel, and the Bible says it this way, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. They were just, they were just off the deep end doing whatever they wanted. It was awful. It's the, this, this whole idea of subjective moral reasoning. You know, so, so whatever's right for you, you're just going to go off and do, and that's, that's righteousness, or that's what's right for you, and what's right for you or true for you may not be right for me or true for me, so I'm going to go off and do my own thing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does it sound kind of what, what our society is going through right now? It's the idea that humanity at our deepest level is good, and left to our own devices Everything will work out great. Everything will be perfect. Now, how many people here know that that is not true? That humanity left to its own devices, like me, Matt, left to my own devices, goes really, really south. It goes, it goes really bad. It's, it's not good. You know, people think there's this, this belief behind that, that, that humanity is, is getting better and better and better all the time. I mean, we, we see it everywhere. I just, somebody just handed me uh, Time Magazine, this special edition of Time Magazine, and it's um, where did good and evil come from? I haven't had a chance to read through it yet, but, but um, it was, he was telling me about how they're, they're trying to, you know, tell everyone that, that humanity is getting better and better, and, and that we're really, there's goodness in all of us at the heart of all of us and everything else, and that's just simply not true. It's not true. Humanity is not evolving. It's devolving. It is regressing. Did you know that the 20th, 21st century was the bloodiest century of all time? It is getting worse. It is not getting better. I remember watching um, a Ravi Zacharias video. I, I can't remember whether it was at Harvard or Duke or or one of those schools, and he, he was sharing, he's a Christian apologist. What that means is he goes around defending the Christian faith. And um, he, I think it was Harvard. He was, he was sharing, and he um, presented uh, his defense of the Christian faith. And at the end of all of his lectures, he always opens it up for, for questions. And, and he was sharing about good and evil and, and where we get this moral judgment from. Why, why is it that in, in all of us there's this, this kind of conscience and this belief that there is something right and there is something wrong? And, and so he shares about this whole thing. He opens up for questions and then this, this young man comes forward, really nice guy. And he says, he says Ravi, he says, why are you so afraid of subjective moral reasoning? I'm like, well, that's a good question. And Ravi answers quickly. He says, do you lock your doors at night? And Ravi, being kind, the kid answers. He says, yeah, absolutely. Ravi, being a nice guy, uh, you know, stops him right there because he defeated his argument. What, it, what the kid acknowledges is that he, he knows there's people out there who could do him harm and will do him harm. So he locks his doors. He actually is afraid of subjective moral reasoning himself because he locks his doors. We all lock our doors. But Ravi, being a nice guy, sees that the kid didn't even know that he defeated his own question, answered his own question, and says, goes into this, this detailed explanation of the digression of humanity left to our own devices. But that's kind of where we're at here in the book of Ruth. Everybody was doing what was 
right in their own eyes, and it was, it was all downhill from there. So here, let's go ahead and read on in the story here. There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Okay, everybody say Elimelech. Isn't that a fun word to say? Elimelech. I'm sorry, I, I just, as I read through that, I can't get that out of my head. I've been studying this for a while, so Elimelech was going through my mind all the time. So you can say it as much as you'd like, as you know, this week as you go on. Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. I know. I, you know. And the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died. So that the women, woman, women, woman was left without, without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose. Now that was, that was really bad. It was really bad that she was left with, without a husband and without her two sons. And, and this time, the, the wives, the women were dependent on their husbands to take care of them for provision. There wasn't, you know, we, we live in a completely different culture where, where women can go out and get jobs and, and can provide for the family and do different things. That was not what it was like here. A woman was, was fully dependent on her husband. And if her husband were passed away, then she was dependent on her sons. If her sons were to pass away, she was basically out. She was homeless and dependent on society to take care of her. So this was, this was really, really bad. But it says this in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lift up the, left, lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where, will you, where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. You might want to underline that response that Ruth gives there. It's, it's really good. Where you die, I will die. 
and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more, also if anything but part, death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem and at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right, here's the first thing that I want to kind of pull out from, from uh, the first chapter of Ruth. And it's in your notes. You can fill it in. It says, God's way is better than my way. God's way is better than my way. And I, I'm pulling this out um, about Elimelech. You see, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, was meant to provide, protect, and care for his family. Now, here's, here's something we need to know about God's provision, about what God said to the Israelites, is they were not to go and hang out with, marry, live with the Moabites or the Amorites. We get that out of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 2 and 3. God is very clear. He says, in fact, he says, if you marry anyone that is a Moabite or an Amorite, you're to be cast out of the family of Israel for 400 years. 400 years. God was really serious about protecting his people and giving them, you know, the idea of staying together in the family. But Elimelech, didn't obey. Elimelech saw a famine come to the land, and instead of trusting God, and instead of, of believing that, that God would eventually provide, Elimelech, Elimelech devised his own plan. Devised his own plan. And it was a really, really bad plan. Well, I'm just going to go over to Moab, where I'm not supposed to go, and I'm going to, you know, find some food and find a job, provide for my family. Now, that sounds all good, right? Then his sons take wives, Moabite wives. What did God say? Don't do that. Husbands, guys, fathers. God calls you to protect, provide, and care for your family. Now, I'm all about planning. Who here is planners? We know we like, to, we like to have a plan. We like to know what's going on tomorrow. We like to, to have our savings account. We like to have our retirement account. We, we like to know what next year holds and have things in line. But when does, when does our planning get us into trouble? When does, when does our setting up our tomorrows and doing all these things, when does it get us into trouble? It got Elimelech into some serious trouble. It gets us into trouble when we do it without God. When we do it in disobedience to God. When we take things that, that are out of our control and try and bring them or force them into our control. 
It's a crazy thing. Elimelech did okay with physical provision part, but when it came to the spiritual leadership of his family, he failed miserably. It's hard to blame him, though. Have you ever been going through life and then something goes terribly wrong and you're like, what in the world is God doing with this? I mean, it doesn't, what's going on in my life right now does does not make sense at all. In fact, I don't even know if it aligns up with God's word. I mean, how is, God, how are you allowing this to happen in my life? Lord, what is going on that, that, that you, have, you have here in my life? Anybody ever felt that way before? I'm sure that's what Elimelech was going through. I mean, he's trying to, he's trying to provide for his family. There's a famine in the land. His neighbors are going crazy. They're living out their lives in, in debauchery and all kinds of awful, all kinds of clung to her. But he did it all the wrong way. You know, it's really important for us to remember that God's best for us isn't always painless, safer, or less challenging but it's always purposeful, meaningful, and God-glorifying. Did you hear that? God's best for us isn't always easier. It's not always less challenging. In fact, sometimes God's best for us is really, really difficult, really hard. And that's, that's where the rubber meets the road in our Christian walk. I mean, it's, it's easy to believe and trust in God when everything's going right, when everything's easy, when there's money in the bank, when there's food in the fridge, right? You know, I'm, you know, I'm all about believing in God and following Jesus when life is easy. But what about when, when famine strikes? When our Christian brothers and sisters turn on us? What about then? Am I still going to trust God? Am I, am I still going to obey Him? Am I still going to walk in His truth? Or am I going to devise my own plan to, to work out this, these different things apart from prayer, apart from trust, apart from faith in Him? Elimelech blew it. And guys, we can't blow it like Elimelech. When things get hard, when you lose your job, God moves you across the country. When things get rough, don't devise a plan apart from God's word, apart from his direction. This, this whole first chapter, really the theme that I, I feel pull, pulling out of this is trust. Elimelech didn't trust God. His sons didn't trust the Lord. And where did, it, where did it take them? To the grave. They died. All three were buried in Moab. The second filling in your notes is this. Trusting God isn't always easy. Can I get an amen? Anybody who's, who's given their life to Jesus, surrendered to Jesus, knows that it's not easy. If you, maybe you're here today and you're new to this Christian walk thing. 
And, and, you know, it's all been smooth sailing. Let me just let you, I just want to let you know, we don't do a bait and switch thing here at Mission View. God has some things in store for you that are going to challenge you, that's going to stretch you, and going to grow you because he is making you the person that he wants you to be. And you probably heard me say it last week, God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. He's got plans for you, and he's got plans for us. But sometimes, man, that growth is really painful. It's growing pains, right? You know, God has plans for us. The beauty of the Christian life isn't the absence of pain. It's the, it's the presence of power. The beauty of the Christian life isn't the absence of pain. It's the presence of power. We have the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, living in us. When we surrender our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We're not, it's not that we're not going to face challenging things. It's that we are going to face challenging things by the power of the Spirit. Here's a key thing about Elimelech. He forgot who he was. And he forgot whose he was. That he served the God of Israel, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator God. He didn't see a provider he saw famine. It's so easy, it's easy to see the famine and forget the Father. We've all been there, done that, right? We've all been there, done that. I remember the first time I owed on my tax return. I remember the first hospital bill that wasn't covered by insurance. I remember when I got sick and was in the hospital. The feeling of helplessness and powerlessness, that moment when we all come face to face with our human vulnerability. Elimelech felt the famine and constructed his own plan in direct disobedience with the Lord. There's nothing wrong with planning, just wrong planning without the Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. All this planning idea and everything kind of underneath that is this idea of control, Right? We, are, we want to be in control. And the reality of life and the reality of a sovereign creator God is that we never have control. We're never in control. It's an illusion. The control that we actually think we have in our lives or the control that we think we have over our kids or the control we think we have over our job isn't real. God sustains us and provides for us and protects for us every second of every day, of every month, of every year. My every breath as I stand here before you is a gift from the Lord. Think about that for just one second and take a breath in. Provided by God, grace. That's what it is. And we, it's, it's, fun, it's, almost, it's almost funny that we walk around thinking that we, we have control and we, we have our hands around these things. And all the while, God is above us, over us, caring for us, smiling down on us in his grace. And every once in a while, he allows something in our lives that we think we have our hands around to come loose. How many people here know that when you're holding on to something really tight and God pulls it out of your hands, it's a little painful? Right? Have you ever, you ever um, 
played tug of war. You know, you've got that rope, and there's like 30 guys on the other side, 30, 30 guys on this side, and you're pulling, you're pulling, you're pulling. And the one team wins, and that rope's going through your hands, and it starts to get hot, rips right through there. It's painful, isn't it? The th- you know, the things and the, the grace that God gives us and the things that he's given us, we have to hold with an open hand. We can't just grab onto it and white-knuckle it and it's mine, I'm going to take care of it, I'm going to, it's, it's, it's his. Everything that's in our lives, all the stuff we acquire, it is, it is all his. Our children, our spouse, our family, our finances, everything, it is all his. And it's given to us by his grace and because he loves us and he, he, just enjoys lavishing good things on us because he's a good dad. He's a good father. But we take those things and and we try to take control of those things when it's really important that we hold them with open hands. Here's what Elimelech didn't get. Here's where where Elimelech Elimelech lost it. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. This is a hugely important scripture for us today. Hugely important scripture. Because we live in America, right, where we've got all this great stuff. We've got uh, insurance for our house. We've got insurance for our health. We've got insurance for our life. We've got insurance for our cars. What else do we need? I mean, if anything goes wrong, the insurance company's got my back, right? I mean, I've got a job, I've got a house, I've got cars, we've got colleges and schools and all these different things, all these things just provided for us. Why would we ever need God, right? I've got everything I need. Until I don't. Until I don't have those things. Until the insurance company won't cover that or when I lose my job or the car breaks down or I get some disease or, right? This is why this verse is so important for us. Let's look at it really closely. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. When the Bible talks about our heart, it's really talking about the things that are most valuable to us. The things that are the very most important things, the things that we actually believe we can really not live without. It's the things, it's the things that we hold closest to us. It's those things that we're really, really gripping onto probably too tightly. Maybe my spouse. Maybe my kids. Maybe my retirement. Maybe my security. Right? Saying, trust in the Lord with all of that. Loosen those fingers. Open those hands. This is second part is so good, the second line. And do not lean on your own understanding. Man, I want to understand. I want to understand what's going on. I want to understand God's plan, right? I want to know what tomorrow holds. Because, right, we're planners, right? We want to have that control, right? I want to know what's going on tomorrow. Why is this going on today, you know? That's going to help me get to tomorrow. It's not not what God says. 
trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. God gets it. <laughs> he gets it. You know why? He understands that we're not going to understand what he does. That he does things that's just going to... God, I don't get it. God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, I know. I know, Matt. That's why I wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. No, we're not going to get it. His, his ways are higher than our ways. He, he exists outside of time. Just wrap your, wrap your mind around that one for a second. He exists in eternity. We live minute by minute, second by second, hour by hour, right? He lives outside of that. My brain's melting. I'm in a weird episode of Star Trek or something, right? We don't get it all the time. What's that third line? In all your ways, acknowledge him. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff right there. You know what that means? That means that when things go south and when things get really difficult, I run to him. It's all your ways, right? So when things are hard, when things are just as bad as they can get, we run to Jesus. We acknowledge that he is God, that I am not, that he is powerful and I am not, that he holds my tomorrow in his hands. I don't. I acknowledge him in my weakness, in my failure, in my struggle. But that's not, that's not all. In all our ways. So when things are going good, when, I, man, when I'm on the top of the mountain, I feel like I've just defeated you know, Goliath, and it's just like, yeah, this is awesome. It's not, I'm awesome, patting myself on the back. Who do I acknowledge? Him. God is awesome. Man, I love it. It's, we, we go through these things, and whether, whether we're down in the valley or at the top of the mountain, victorious in all these things, it's all about a gracious and merciful God. I'm not the center of the story. Christ is the center of the story. So when I'm winning the battles and I'm seeing victories in my life, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when I'm in the valley and I'm dying and I don't understand and I'm just worried and I'm lost, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about him. Who is he? What has he done? What is he calling us to? And what's the last line? And he will make straight your paths. That's the promise. That we trust in him with all our heart, all those things that are so valuable to us. And when we don't understand it, we don't get all freaked out. We understand that we don't understand everything because we're not God, and he is. And I just acknowledge him in those things, the victories, the defeats. It's all Jesus. And you know what that means, that last line? It means he's got your back. That's what it means. He's not going to let you down. Elimelech saw a famine, not a father. What's the famine in your life? Is it the stock market? Is it the dead-end job? 
Is it an unloving spouse? Is it a wayward child? What is it in our lives that we're, we just hold on to, to hold on to so tightly that affects us so deeply? What do we need to let go of? What do we need to give to the Lord? Now, I'm not saying that we just passively don't do anything with it or about it. I'm not saying that. We need to be proactive. But where is it in our hearts that we just need to trust God? Where is it? All of us have it, right? Man, there's, there's, there's things going on in my life right now. I just, I got to trust in him. I don't understand him. I don't understand these things. But I have to believe that he is God. And that his word is true. And you know what his word says? Is that before he created the world, he knew our name. He knew my name. And it says that before he created anything, he had set aside good things for you to do and me to do. It's, it's crazy. The struggles in my life, the failures in my life, when I, when, I, when I go the wrong way or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, God's not up there going, oh my gosh, I can't believe Matt did that. That's not his response. He's not surprised by our failure. He's not surprised by our success. He's up there and he's saying, Matt, I'm going to use that. Matt, I'm going to grow you in that. Matt, I'm going to use that to glorify my name. I'm going to use that to extend my kingdom. Oh, come on, this is good stuff, church, right? Right? Because we go through these hard things, and there's got to be meaning in it. There's got to be purpose for it. And that's the truth that Elimelech lost. He didn't see it, that God was going to use that famine to draw people who had turned their backs on him back to him. They needed to be so desperate for a God to save them. They needed to quit looking at their insurance. They needed to quit looking at their retirement. They needed to quit looking at those things and say, God, you're all I need. Right? That's what God's calling us to, Mission View. God has to be all that we need. There can't be these other sub-gods, little gods, little g-gods that we look to and, and trust in and believe in. It has to be the one true only God that we trust in and give our lives to. That's the only thing worth giving our lives to, and that's what he's calling us to. We believe that everyone has a mission. You have a mission that God has set aside for you, and he's revealing it to you more and more every day. And he's saying, give your life to him for his glory and his kingdom. He's the only one worth it. He's the only one worth it. Don't be like Elimelech. Trust in God. Here's, here's a last point I want to point out. Number three, our lives can be a powerful form of evangelism. Now this is the point in um, most of the commentaries that I read and, and uh, the sermons that I've watched uh, studying Ruth. This is where uh, the pastors would start to say, um, Ruth, the loyalty of Ruth. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. That kind of thing, right? And this is, I actually, the first, the first time I wrote my sermon, this point was, everybody needs a Ruth in their life. 
right? We all need a Ruth in our life, right? That was going to be my third point. And we do. Good Lord, it is true, right? We all need a Ruth in our life. But why? Why would Ruth, why would Ruth pick up and leave her security, her family, her place, her people, and her gods? Think about this for a second. Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't an Israelite. It's a 40-mile difference, 30-mile difference. But she had a security. She had security. She had a people. She had a place as a Moabite. Why? Why? What in the world caused Ruth to just say, you know what? Your, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you go, I will go. I think, I think Ruth saw something in Naomi. The practices of the Israelite people, how they, they dedicated their lives to the one true God. There had to be something that Ruth saw that she didn't see anywhere else. And there was only one person she could have seen that through, Naomi. Think about this. Naomi got to that point where she felt like God had just dealt with her harshly, it says. So much so that she changes her name. She has a name change. She goes from Naomi to Mara. God had dealt harshly with. So instead, instead of running further from God, the God of Israel, where does she go? She goes home. She goes to the place of worship. She goes to the God that she believed dealt harshly with her. We have an amazing opportunity to show the love of God every day. Who knows what happens when we're at work and something hard happens or so, you know, a boss goes off on us or whatever, and we respond in a godly, loving way. This is, I think what we see here in Naomi is lifestyle evangelism. And this, this is something that's really important for us, that we actually walk out a, a Christ-like walk, that we actually walk out a, a love for people, a love for God every day. That's why we do the uh, gifted things every month. We just want to give you an opportunity to show God's love in practical, tangible ways with your neighbors, with your family, with your coworkers. We're trying to give you these cool things. You know, last, last month it, it was the peeps. This month we're going to be giving away car washes, or in May. We're going to be giving away car washes. So you can go up to your coworker and say, hey, just want to show you God's love in a practical, tangible way. There's a free car wash, a dad's car wash. Um, we just wanted to sh show you God's love. Is there anything I could pray for you for? Those, that's, it's, it's that simple. It really is that easy that we walk up and have that conversation. I'm not saying that that coworker is just like, oh, I want to know Jesus. That's probably not going to be their response, right? No, it's going to be like, what's my car dirty or something? <laughs> no, 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 man. I, you got a nice car. It looks good. I just, 
in our church, we want to show God's love in, in practical ways. And we don't want to just say, hey, God loves you. We want to show you in a practical way. And uh, we just hope it blesses you, man. And if you ever need anything, just let me know. It's those, those types of things that, that we do, that we show God's love in practical ways. It's planting seeds, right? Just over and over again, over and over again. Did you know that it, it, it takes 13 touches of a Christian to a non-Christian sharing the love of Christ with someone before they'll even consider attending church? 13. 13. Maybe you don't feel so bad about your neighbor you've been inviting like five times, right? Right? We just want to give you those opportunities of lifestyle evangelism. How we live, what we say, and what we do makes a difference. It was Francis of Assisi who said this, wherever you go, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I love that. Now we need to share the gospel, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to share the gospel, but, but man, we need to live the gospel, right? Live the gospel. All right, so that's the start, right? That's Ruth 1. All these just some really cool things that we can pull out of these things. So let's just quick review here. God's way is better than my way. Elimelech thought he could build a way and plan a way better than God's, and he blew it. Two, trusting God isn't always easy, right? It's a real life. It's a real relationship in a real world. And number three, our lives can be a powerful form of evangelism. Cool. I love, I love this book of Ruth and the pictures that it paints. We met some of the main characters, Naomi and Elimelech and, and Ruth. Next week, we get to see a new character come into the story and a real powerful impact that he's going to make. So um, I really encourage you to come back and hear about this guy named Boaz. So why don't we pray uh, before we sing our last song today? Definitely, Father, we thank you for... Uh, this amazing story we have. Father, as we continue our study through this book, Lord, we pray that the truths of your word would, would come to light. And God, as we learn today, it is really hard to trust you sometimes. It is really difficult for us to walk out our faith sometimes. So Father, I just pray for, for everyone here right now, and everyone watching on live stream, God, I just pray that you would would, would give us this ability to trust in you more. God, we need a deeper, stronger faith. And only you can give that to us, Lord. So, Father, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives that only you can do, that you would be God in our midst, that you would be God in our lives. Teach us to trust you more and more. We give our lives to you and we say, use us up for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand as we sing our closing song today?